Hey everyone, it's Rob with Four Songs. So it's Christmas time, and while this is not necessarily a Christmas episode, believe me, you'll be finding out that it is the gift that will keep on giving. Before I get to it though, let me paint you a bit of a picture. Pretty much all my life until I got out of college, my parents used to take us up to Tom's River, New Jersey every Christmas. This is where my mom grew up, and so we'd see her, her parents, you know, my grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles and it was a lot of fun if you were a kid. And then, you know, every day after Christmas, my dad would take me and my cousin and sometimes my sister out to Seaside Heights, which if you've ever seen the Jersey Shore or seen that show, Jersey Shore, you know what I'm talking about. The big boardwalk, lots of games and rides and kind of tacky, you know, it can get out of hand. It's kind of a crazy place. But if you ever go there in the wintertime, it is just the complete opposite. A lot's closed, but just enough is open to make it worth your time. You got arcades, you have a little Santa's village. It's really something else. And when you're there by yourself, practically, there is something eerie and something calm all at the same time about it. You know, there's always been something a little strange about going to the beach in the wintertime. And I don't know, maybe because I did it so often as a kid, I just like it. You know, there's no tourists, unless you count us, because we weren't from there. But there's really no one around. There's no one to butt in front of you. There's no one to wait to finish that video game. And sure enough, all those games are still there. You can play Donkey Kong all you want because no one else is going to play it with you or try to keep you from playing or get in your way or hog you the time. Anyway, that's a long-winded way for me to get to this episode. My guest for this time is Nicole Atkins. And Nicole is one of the most, I mean, I, I know I say a lot of great things about my guests and I mean all of it, but Nicole is something else. I've been watching, listening to Nicole since about 2007. She actually comes from this part of New Jersey. She's from Neptune, which is a town just a stone's throw away from places like Asbury Park or Point Pleasant or Seaside Heights, these Jersey Shore towns. And I think that explains why her music sounds the way it does. There's something eerie, but something calm, something haunting, but something beautiful about it. Her voice just carries over it all. And she's also incredibly diverse in the kind of music she plays. She can rock out or she can sing cabaret. She can just about do it all. I really had a hard time describing her, and as you can tell, I'm kind of all over the place in my accolades, but believe me, once you hear her sing, if you haven't heard her already, you'll know what I'm talking about. So it was a tremendous honor for me to speak with her in December from her Nashville home. So she's now in Nashville, no longer in New Jersey or Charlotte, where she based, was based before. She is promoting her latest album called Memphis Ice, which is a piano-string-soaked, stripped-down version of her 2020 album, Italian Ice. Now, Italian Ice was released in the midst of the pandemic, and during the last summer's racial justice protests. The album itself is like a trip through time along the Jersey Shore. You can hear some disco, you can hear some big band, you can hear some Springsteen from Greens from Asbury Park. It's got a lot in it. It's an escape, and you'll get lost in it. Memphis Ice, on the other hand, was recorded live one day in, you may have guessed, Memphis, Tennessee. And it is about as intimate as you can get. A piano, some strings, and a coal. You can close your eyes and envision her singing this in New York, Chicago, Paris, any great city, in a dark, smoky club. She calls it her Judy Garland moment, and boy, does she deliver. We talk about four songs from the album, Domino, Mind Eraser, Captain, and what might be my favorite song of the year, Promised Land. Now, three of those songs, Domino, Mind Eraser, and Captain, appeared in very different form on Italian Ice. She saved Promised Land for this because it's so stripped down and so bare that it just fit. And in this interview, she talks about what it took to take those big sounding songs from Italian Ice and to strip them down to the bare minimum for this album. 
and we talk about her process for writing in the first place and how her hometown still seeps into her music. Now, what's funny was as we were talking, Nicole told me that her home was filled to the brim with boxes of the vinyl copy of Memphis Ice. So yeah, you can get this on Spotify or iTunes or however else you get your streaming music. But if you really want to hear it, if you really want it to blow you away, you've got to get it on vinyl. You can order it directly from her website, and guess what? She ships it directly to you from her home. And she'll tell you, you never know what you might get if you do that. So it's worth it. You know, as I've made pretty clear, Memphis Ice is a masterstroke. And it is my tremendous honor to welcome Nicole Atkins to Four Songs. Fire away, sir. All right. So, well, thank you, Nicole, for, for joining me for this episode. I'm really excited about having you here. So thank you. Yeah, me too. Well, so the first question I've been asking people, and I've been doing this for almost two years now, which is hard to believe, mm-hmm. but I started this right when the pandemic was just coming around. So how have you managed the last year and almost two years now? You know, what's wild is like, I talked to a bunch of friends about this. It's like, when you think about two years, we're like, where did it go? It went so fast, you know? I, I managed pretty well. I, uh, my husband is, he works um, as a tour manager and a front of house person for bands. And so we actually got to spend a lot of time together, which we never do. And that was really fun because we, we started a variety show in my attic and he did the sound and our neighbor did the camera work. So it was kind of like a dream project because all of the special guests, none of them could say no. Because <laughs> right. I was like, come on, I know you don't have shit going on. Like, And um, so they all said yes. And we got to do some comedy bits and play the songs. And, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of like a giant kid. So I'm mm-hmm. used to being able to entertain myself and then it ended up entertaining other people too. So that was great. So how has this, the last, it seems like, you know, maybe four or five months ago, vaccines are rolling out and things are opening up again. And now we're sort of in this weird, maybe, maybe not time of this pandemic. And how's this, I mean, what's it like for you as an artist, just to kind of, kind of feel like these stops and starts and like we're gonna get started that no or not. And then yeah, it's well, kind of agonizing. You know, being in the music industry now for almost 18 years, um, it's taught me a lot of patience. You know, like in the beginning, I would always be like, oh, my God, this needs to come out now. What? Like everything's going to go away. And I think, you know, just some time and experience. And then with the pandemic, it's taught a lot of people that, you know, you, you can only control the art making. You can't control the other things that happen because that's when other people get involved and not everybody's on the same timeline. And I think we're seeing that, you know, the earth does not abide by our timelines. So it's not up to us. I think that whole, you know, acceptance is your friend thing. Mm -hmm. It's really real. You know, once you can accept that things are the way it is, it just frees up yourself from fighting against it. And you could just go back to making your stuff. Yeah, well, that's a good perspective. I mean, I'm wondering, I know Memphis Ice, yeah. go ahead. It's taken me a long time to uh, to get there. <laughs> yeah. But I'm well, glad I'm I mean, there. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, I must have just been, I mean, touring is the lifeblood of the musician and it had to have been just like, <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? Like once we, like this, the second um, variety show stream I did, my grandfather passed away. Mm-hmm. And so I did a few songs 
that night for him and just seeing my family on the chat on the YouTube, I was like, one, holy crap, they learned how to use YouTube. <laughs> and two, it was like, there's people on the other side of that lens, you know? So while you're doing that show, it really feels like you're together, you know, and we miss touring. And once we got to go back to touring um, last year, it was, it was really great and it felt better than ever, but it's also, you know, taking this into the future, how do you tour smarter and not, you know, just kill your body just to be out touring? Like there's other things you can do. Well, we're here to talk about Memphis Ice. And so this podcast is about songs and songwriting. And I'm, I'm just so thrilled to talk to you because I've been listening to your music back to the beginning, Neptune City. And then, nice. yeah, I mean, Goodnight Rhonda Lee, I just thought was just tremendous. And Thanks. And then Italian Ice, which we were talking about earlier, that was like, to me, that was like a trip through time. And yeah. So, and you've made no secret of the influence of your, of your hometown, Neptune and Asbury Park have had on your music. And I have, it's fortunate, my mom's from New Jersey and mm-hmm. I spent my very young preteen years going to Seaside Heights and Point Pleasant. And, nice. Yeah. And I mean, I know the, the lore of that what was, what was your favorite boardwalk game oh gosh I, well i like the spinning even though i never won mm-hmm. the, the big wheel and then the frog bog frog bog that was yeah. that was my favorite too i also like the you shoot the water gun at the clowns <laughs> and blow up the balloon yeah i was really good at that <laughs> yeah I, I was i was better at well i mean the wheels it's, it's all chance but I, I it's all chance good. but they had the best prizes yeah yeah i mean i just but the lore of that I can remember being in Lavalette as a kid and that's just far enough from the seaside where you can see the lights and when yeah. I listen to your music, I feel like that's, there's so much going on in there. And so how did those, those, that lore of that era just, just influence your, your writing? Like, I think as an artist, you know, growing up there, it's hard not to be inspired by the landscape, you know, like in the summer, all the lights go up, all the tourists come down and it's just like a giant party for three months But then everybody goes home and the people that live there year round, you know, it's like this deserted beach town with a river and it gets, you know, pretty romantic in a way. If you can think your way into it rather than just being like, it's cold, no one's here. But I would always just let my mind wander and just come up with like stories or stories and you know different scenarios with what I saw around me and I'm still able to do that not even living there it's just such a great well to draw from Mm -hmm. so when did you start writing songs I didn't start writing songs until I was 21 I always played music I always played guitar sang cover songs and you know I had a couple bands but I always thought it was a daunting task to try and write a poem that went with the song Mm -hmm. until I moved back home to New Jersey after college I ran into the guy that owned one of the music venues called Saint in Asbury Park it's like a little dive it's like CBGB's of Asbury and asked him for a gig and he told me that they no longer let people play cover songs and did I write my own music and so I lied to him and said yes (sighs) And he gave me a gig and I had to write, you know, 40 minutes worth of music. And it was like, once I had a task and I always knew that I would, I just didn't know how or when. And then it was like, you know, the songs just kind of poured out of me and I was able to 
write about my time in Charlotte and write about, you know, I didn't start writing about Neptune City until I moved back to Charlotte mm-hmm. in 2003 and was living in a warehouse. Like I'm always like able to write about things after, not while I'm in them. The only record I ever wrote w- that I wrote while I was in it was uh, Goodnight Ronda Lee. So, and how do you know, like, when, when did you realize that you know, you're, you're playing, those, you're writing those songs for that gig? I mean, when did you realize that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this and let's make a go at it? Well, I was playing in an Irish pub. I had like an Irish pub gig every week. I did one of my own songs. Somebody asked who wrote it. And I was like, me. <laughs> so that's when I was like, you know, maybe these are good. But I also thought like when I was re- like, anytime I write something that I can't wait to share with friends and I write a lot of songs that no one will ever hear. But when I, when I have one that I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait to like show a friend. That's when I know I've written a good song. Oh, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I've been listening to your stuff since the beginning and that's just, I love it. So Thanks. Um, well, we'll talk about Memphis ice and we're going to talk about four songs in particular, okay. captain mind eraser, Domino and Promised Land, and the first of those three are on the tie and ice with the full band treatment, as we were talking about earlier, and Promised yeah. Land didn't make it on the first album, but thankfully it's on this one, so. Yeah, Promised Land, I, I wrote maybe in 2012 with Angelo Petraglia during a trip to Nashville, and I was living in Brooklyn at the time, and going through a breakup that was like, we broke up that day over the phone, and he was like, oh, I have this, uh, chorus and he sang me the chorus and I was just like okay we can definitely write that together and we just wrote it in like a couple hours and it was one that I remember the label I was on was like okay now write 10 more of those you know and it's like uh you can't that's not how it works (laughs) and so I'd always try to record that song with a band and it just always ended up just too much you know because that song it just like it like sounds like a hit you know Mm -hmm. but there's a fine line when you record it with it being cheesy and a good song when it's a song like that and it was always when it was more stripped down I felt comfortable with it so when this project came up to re-record Italian Ice as Memphis Ice I was like this is the perfect scenario to do this because with piano and strings like it'll just give the song you know the space and the elegance that it it needs for the first time I was just blown away because it just it reminds me and this 
I don't know what you think of this. It, it, because it doesn't have that Motown sound, but I, it reminds me of the song, Every Little Bit Hurts. Ooh, who sang that? It's, um, it, was, it was never a big hit, but uh, Brenda Hall- Holloway, I think, did it. And Gladys Knight did it. This is probably in the 60s, I guess. And then- Very cool. What, what's this uh, title again? Because I'm gonna- Every Little somewhere. Bit Hurts. Cool. And well, the reason why I, I mentioned it is because I- I love up, the title already. So. Yeah. I grew up listening to The Clash a lot. I love The Clash. Yeah. And, and so they actually do this unreleased cover version that, of course, made it all their greatest hits. Well, not the greatest hits, but some box sets or whatever. And Cool. It's just Mick Jones singing. And, you know, Mick, I love him, but he doesn't have, he wouldn't be go down in, in rock history for his voice, I don't think. No, but, you know, if that's a song that he feels, you know, yeah. like that, when, when you pick a cover song, it's like you you're compelled to do it because you're like, ah, I just like, I, that song knows me somehow, Yeah, you know, and you make it your own, whether it's a, you know, a great rendition or if it's just a scrappy rendition, it's nice to know what people love. Yeah. And I feel like the way he sang it reminds me of how you sing this song. And there's an emotion that I feel like is, it just feels like this song is maybe because it's, I guess it would be a very personal song and yeah, it's a song that, you know, you're just really almost kind of exhausted by the situation that you're in and you can't do it anymore. And like somebody else's idea of like, oh, no, like this is going to be great. You know, like you don't for me, like I don't want to be on the ride in a relationship. I want us to be riding together. And that was the that was the, the point of it, you know, it was like. Just feeling like you're just along for the ride in somebody else's world can be really lonely. We're broke down from where we stand. I see trouble in the promised land. I see pain and I see hurt. And what's it really worth? Darling, don't you understand? You can't drag my heart to the promised land. Can't drag my heart. Just smoking in the alley at the cabin down. Yeah, but like toward the end, the line is we can't sit together because you're lonely. I feel like that, you know, it's so relatable because I feel like what's so true about that is that's hard to know when you're in that kind of and it's yeah, and it's hard to get away from too. I remember the breakup that I was going through. I knew that we weren't right together, but like I just, you know, it was almost like I was talking about myself, like I didn't want to you know, break up because I didn't want to be lonely, you know, and I think that's a good thing, you know, it takes with time, but the best, you know, tool somebody can have living as a human is learning how to be alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's not that bad. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. great. Yeah. It, it can be, but yeah, it can yeah, be. Yeah. yeah. Trouble in the promised land. 
I see pain and I see hurt And what's it really worth? Darling, don't you understand? You can't drag my heart to the promised land Can't drag my heart You can't drag my heart We're broke down where we So this song fit well because of doing everything sort of stripped down But when you were yeah. going to the others what, how did you decide which songs, because not everything made it from. Yeah, not a, the ones that we kept off were AM Gold and, and um, Never Going Home, because those songs just, they were such, the guitar and the, and the beats were very integral to those songs. So we kept them off because, and I, I thought that Domino and like Mind Eraser, like, how's that going to work? Because, you know, the beats are so integral to the songs. But once we got in the room, it was like, oh, wow, like Domino, like sung in this way feels like a warning. feel like an actor when I'm singing the songs and in this format that we did Memphis Ice in I was able to really like go there as you know as a, a you know a singing storyteller it, it wasn't meant for you know we didn't have to worry about like how is this going to sound on the radio it was like how are we how is this song going to relate from me to the person listening and watching and after we did that I was like I want to do this all the time <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love that that you kept the riff from Domino because that, I mean, that oh, just, yeah. that's just killer. <laughs> Thanks. When you're doing that, kind of taking it from the slick guitar, kind of that slicker version to, to this, like what goes into that? Which I know that's a very vague and un, non-detailed question, but. I think it goes back to acceptance. You know, you have to accept this is what you have to work with. It's a minimal, you know, you have these three elements that you can work with. So how do you find a way to make it work and you have to adjust your phrasing or you have to adjust you know what mood you would have based on what the music is telling you to feel so that was 
that was where I, I got to it from, you know, we had one day of rehearsal at my house and a, a mind eraser just came together so easily. And that song I originally wrote with uh, Carl Bremel from my morning jacket, just the two of us on acoustic guitars. And it was like, I thought it started out as a Roy Orbison type thing that these dreams I know too well. The first thought says my mind's erased I never want, I never want to leave her again When you spend time in a lion's cage You never go, you never go to sleep again I thought that was a chorus and then he started playing it like with radio head chords under it and I was like whoa this is a pre-chorus you know so then what's the chorus and just you know we wrote it where he's playing guitar and I'm just pacing back and forth like a you know a weirdo chanting you know you get in kind of this like hypnotic kind of mode once you find your way into a song and it's and you kind of lose time and afterwards, I kept thinking of that uh, Tender is the Night from Blur. And it was like, this, this song doesn't sound like that, but it gives me the same feelings as that song. So once we did it with uh, piano and strings, like I wrote the string arrangements with Laura and Maggie and just sang them the parts. And I didn't realize that, you know, I always thought it was like the drums and bass that really made that song a thing. And then once we did it, just the four of us, I was like, wow, the string parts are like one of the most important parts of this whole song. So it just felt very easy to sing it and record it that way. When you're surfing through a frozen wave, dunes piled high, ex-lovers waving by. When you live life through a speed and train, you never see, you never see your home again. Yeah, I feel like this song is the one that stands out in terms of just how different it is. But it's, it's still yeah, it, it's my it's my favorite one that that is on there because you really hear like you know the Serge Gainsbourg influences and the piano and strings and the, the dynamics of the song. Yeah, especially in that bridge. Yeah, that yeah. bridge. Like they came up with that. Da, that Dan Chen was my first piano player um, in my band. For, for a long time and he and I just keep coming back back into each other's worlds all the time we have like an open door policy on our friendship and artistic you know 
um, collaborations. And I love that. And so we hadn't played together in eight years. And when he played the middle part of Mind Eraser, I was like, oh, this is why I love Dan Chen. Cause like, he's the only person that comes up with stuff like that, that I know. It's just, it's dreamy. It's exciting when you can strip everything back and it ends up sounding bigger, you know, and I think a lot of that lends to how I write songs, you know, I've always found the songs that I write kind of show tuny and um, instead of, you know, shying away or covering that up, it felt really good to not, to just let it breathe. Yeah, I feel like that and listening to it, it feels like when you were, you could be doing this in sort of like a, like a Judy Garland type of thing that you did in Paris. That's exactly how I felt. <laughs> like wow. when we were doing this, I was like, God, I feel like fucking Judy Garland right now. And like, <laughs> if I just like, there wasn't a moment that I wasn't in it when I was singing it. And I always thought I'd have my Judy Garland moment later in life, you know? Okay, I'll do that record when I'm older. But now I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it now. <laughs> all the time because it makes me you know real it feel really present yeah well because you've said in the past that some of these new songs feel old and i i, I think i know what you mean because there is that kind of old soul sense to them but the way you've done them here is i feel like it's like brand new in a way too because yeah and i think it's a, a good thing to keep that kind of music from going away you know, because mm -hmm. I feel like nowadays in pop music, it's all, it's more about the producers than it's about the artists. So, you know, it's good to keep making things that keeps the focus on the songs and the artists. Yeah. And, think, and, and the audience. But do you feel like when you're performing in, in this, this type of, of atmosphere, when it's so stripped down, do you feel like there's a greater connection? Yeah, I do. You know, because I'm not, I'm not getting lost in like the rock band treatment where I'm just like rock, 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 rocking out, you know, and it's super fun. I love doing that too, but I'm glad I can do both. Yeah. Yeah. Cause not everyone can. And I think that that's a sign of, to me, that's a sign of a great song is when you can do it different ways and almost get different feelings out of them too. Like, I, yeah, I equate it to like when I was born, like the first things I remember is Judy Garland and the who's Tommy. So and that really stuck with me and kind of never left being my 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 two go-to modes of living is you know cabaret singing and rock and roll and <laughs> trying you know throughout my whole life to combine those things yeah i think you, you may have hit it here i mean with fun it's on like captain too i mean how did captain actually <laughs> i had that song in my phone and uh i was doing a, a different song with Carl right before we went to record the record. And I was like, Oh, before I leave, what do you think of this? And I just thought it was kind of too simple because we finished it in like two seconds. It just like literally came together in five minutes. So I was like, Oh, this song, you know, is probably a, you know, a throwaway or maybe I'll work on it more later. 
And then my keyboard player, Moose, in Brooklyn was like, this is a perfect song. How did you do this? And it's, I guess, maybe not being musically schooled. I don't know when things are sophisticated or melodically right. I just know if I like it or not. And, you know, he just went into this tangent about like, you know, the blah, 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 things I don't understand. And then I was like, oh. And then Britt from Spoon was like, how did you write this song? And I was just like, in five minutes. And we kept it on and became one of my favorite songs on the record. You know, I think as a songwriter, it's good to show people your work because you never know what like something that you think might be whatever because it didn't take you very long or you didn't put much thought into it could end up being your best thing. Yeah, I've, I've heard others say that it's the songs that come out of nowhere like that. Yeah, that, they're gifts. <laughs> yeah. And I've always I've tried to get people to explain like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> Because I have no idea what that feels like. So yeah, like I was writing with a friend of mine, um, this this writer Emily Levy, and I just had this dumb, or you know, it's not dumb, but I thought you know I just woke up and I was having coffee and just like sang this little thing into my phone. And she's like, oh, that's cool. And then she finished it, and it's like been in my head all week. Hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's it's hard when you write a lot to focus to know which ones to focus on. And that's what I think is like the great thing about co-writing, you know, because you can focus on a lot of things at once. Well, and also like Captain, like how did that work? Was it, was it lyrically, did, did you work together with Britt or was it? Yeah, well, no, I, so it was, that was co-written by Carl Brummel too. Oh, okay. And uh, Britt sang on it. So Captain though, I had a verse, you know, I always have disembodied melodies in my phone and then scraps of poetry that I keep in a big, you know, file in my phone. And I remember calling Jim Sklavunas and being like, we don't have lyrics to this and that and the other. And he was like, well, do you write on the road? And it's like, I forget all the things that I wrote. And he's like, go through what you wrote already and see what works. And the, you know, the fake words thing when you're writing melodies is really good to do. You know, it was like, I could be your captain. I kept singing, I could be your captain for one. But like, that was an easy amend. I was like, for once. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, that's what it's about. Like letting me, you know, take care of you for once because you're always taking care of me. So I've actually written about my husband because he's a tour manager and he's just always taking care of others. And, you know, he needs to take care of himself sometimes too.
yeah. have a lot of people like that in our families. Yeah, I mean, that can be hard, just as hard as letting go can be hard as knowing when to let go because that's just like, totally, that's, especially if you're a control freak. Right. <laughs> that's I always love that movie, um, the, the Phantom Thread with uh, Daniel Day Lewis, where his right. wife has to poison him in order to so she can like take care of him. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I always joke to Ryan that I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Well, uh, what I really like about this song is, and I feel like this is a challenge for any writer is to know when you got it right and when to stop. And yeah. So how hard is that for you to do? It's not hard for me to do. It's hard for me to do that with paintings. Hmm. Can't tell you how many paintings I've ruined just by like doing too much, but with songs, I think I've really come to a place where I'm able to, you know, especially I always think in production and layers. And, you know, when I have a song melody, I'll hear strings and backup vocals and everything at once. But I also know that throughout my life, I've had to do, you know, depending on budgets or radio things, I've had to do them stripped down too. So I think now going forward, it's nice to keep in mind, like, that I'm that I will have to do these songs stripped down. So what can we lose that doesn't serve the actual like you know structure of the song? It's kind of the funnest part: slashing everything, getting rid of stuff, editing. Yeah. Now, how much of that did you enjoy doing? Taking these songs from Italian Ice to to these versions of Unemphasize. I felt really like good. I I already did that before I recorded Italian Ice, so it made this recording really easy. You know, it was a day of rehearsal and then straight into recording it in the day. Wow. I think it, you know, comes down to having great players and, and just um, being prepared. You know, like when we did Mind Eraser, the recording had a crazy bridge on it. Like a, almost kind of like Beatles slash Lemon Twigs kind of bridge. That, and that was that way when we wrote it. And then Moose called me and he was like, you know, I don't want to talk out of turn here, but I made a quick edit of what it would sound like without that bridge. And when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, it's so much better now. Because that bridge is cool, but it takes you out of the mood of the song. And so maybe that bridge gets used somewhere else in a different song in the future. Well, so speaking of players, so who's with you on Memphis Ice? It's Dan Chen on piano, Laura Epling on violin, and Maggie Chafee on cello and then claire um, reynolds on backup singing well as we wrap up and thank you so much for your time tonight Nicole. yeah thank you appreciate yeah. it so what are your expectations now so are you going to be hitting the road do you think in the next year um we have a few festivals on the books we're doing kayamo and the ava brothers on the beach thing in mexico so that'll be nice to you know work on my tan <laughs> play some music and uh i'm just in writing mode for my next record which is going to be you know it was inspired by the memphis ice sessions and the way that we recorded them so i'm making a record of standards but they're oh, wow. new songs that feel like stardust or crying or um you know break it to me gently but they're new and they're about modern things but spoken about in an elegant way hmm. so they won't get dated yeah well, can't wait to hear that. And then you also said you have a duet, album of duets coming out potentially. Yeah, that's um, a, me and Jim Sclavunos. We're just called Nicole Atkins and Jim Sclavunos. It's a mouthful. But 
yeah, that record's finished and we're just making plans. So. Well, we can't wait to hear the new stuff and some emphasize. I know. I can't wait to write it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Memphis Ice is out and it's on vinyl and streaming. Is it, it's, will there be a CD release at all or is it just on vinyl? No, no. But if anybody wants vinyl, it does get shipped from me from my house. So, right. you know, we're keeping it totally in-house and you um, never know what might end up in your package. <laughs> <laughs> I just stuck a pack of cat Muji post-it notes in somebody's. So yeah. lucky them. Yeah. We can't wait to hear it. And thank you awesome. so much for your time tonight, Nicole. I greatly Thank you it. so much. So I'm just going to assume by now you've already ordered your copy of Memphis Ice and it's coming to your home and maybe you'll get a nice little surprise from Nicole. Thanks again to Nicole for joining me. This was a tremendous episode and an honor to have her on. Hope everyone has happy holidays and I got more stuff coming in 2022. So stay tuned, subscribe, share this with whomever you want, and thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Happy New Year.